Sure repose. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said. The title of this message comes from a hymn. Can anybody in here tell me what hymn that is from? Anybody besides Caroline? How familiar are you with your hymns? What hymn does that, those two words, sure repose, come from? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's it, number 338. 338. Please turn to that. And uh, I was reading this. I don't know. I was seeking the Lord on the message, and this phrase comes to mind. What can shake thy sure repose? You see it there in verse 1. What can shake thy sure repose? So this song is talking about the church. Glorious things of thee are spoken, the church. And uh, I, just, I just love uh, what it is, what it, what, it, what it portrays to us. And we are privileged to be God's people. We are privileged to be a part of, of the church of Jesus Christ. And what is true, and, and I love the, the, what is true about the church as a body is true uh, in most ways about us as individuals. What's true about us as individuals is true uh, about us collectively. So let's just read through this and, and then we'll sing it as well. Glorious things of thee are spoken Zion city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. I just need to comment about that. God speaks, and that's the way it is. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be a Leonard, and there was a Leonard. He said, let there be a Randall, and there was a Randall. He said, let there be an Irvin, and there was an Irvin. Let there be a Ruth, and there was... Several of them. Just one's here this morning. But uh, the same God that says, let there be light, spoke us into existence as well. He who's, and, and, and His Word stands. His Word stands. I believe it is, it is His Word that keeps the world from flying apart. It is His Word, His spoken Word, that keeps the planets in sync and the stars infinite, infinite. And, and His Word is spoken. And, and that's what I think about when I read this. He whose Word cannot be broken formed thee for His own abode. He formed you as an individual because He wanted to live in you. And he formed the church 
us collectively because he wants a dwelling place for his glory to be shown. And we are privileged to be a part of that. He whose word cannot, say that with me, he whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. And then the next phrase, on the rock of ages founded. Who's the rock of ages? Jesus. Yes, he is the rock of ages. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? What can shake thy sure repose? So the church is founded upon the rock of ages. Jesus is the foundation. He is our foundation. With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. I like that. So when Satan comes against us with this negative thought, we just smile and say, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no. Are you kidding? You tricked me with that so many times before, never again. And we renounce those negative thoughts, those sinful thoughts. And, and when he comes with this cloud and when the, with this, this discouragement, this doubt, we smile and say, you're, you're crazy. I'm not giving in to that. On the rock with salvation's walls surrounded, built on the rock and surrounded by salvation's walls, we can smile at all our foes. And so many times we look at people as our foes. That is so wrong. People aren't our foes. It's just people in cooperation with our foe. And too many times we've been some of those people. We have been, we have been uh, made it difficult for others to live well for Jesus because we've cooperated with our foe. With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. Built on the rock. Foundation, our foundation is Jesus, and he has created us. His word cannot be broken. He has spoken us into existence, and he has saved us. And as we live in that salvation, with him in us, we can smile at all our foes. Verse 2, see the streams of living waters springing from eternal love. As we receive that eternal love, there is a spring of, of living water in it. Well, supply thy sons and daughters, and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. As sure as God is eternal, and as sure as God is faithful through every age, for every generation, for every person in every generation, that sure. How many believe God is that sure? God is eternal. Raise your hands. Come on. That God is eternal and he is He is faithful from age to age. That sure is His grace. His grace is abundant. His grace is infinite. Because it's His grace. Grace which, like the Lord the giver, never fails. 
he gives more grace and he giveth and giveth and giveth again. There's always grace available for us if we're willing to receive it. That's the catch, if we're willing to receive it. Verse 3, round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near, thus deriving from their banner light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna which he gives them when they pray. This takes us back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel. So God, he, he's the God that said, let there be light, and there was light. He's the God that formed Adam. He, and, and there was a point where he says, let there be my people. And he called Abraham and raised up the children, we call the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Those were God's people in the Old Testament. And it's a beautiful uh, analogy and, and similarities between God's people in the Old Testament and his church, the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so there we have the, these comparisons and and the whole Bible is, is kind of is built on that thing. And, and that's, that's what we have here. You know how, you know the story. There is a pillar of cloud um, in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. And we won't go all into all of that represents, but it represented his presence. It was God's glory in their midst, in the midst of his people. The same is true of the church of Jesus Christ. We don't realize it. We don't believe it like we should. And so we don't radiate it like we should. But I'm calling us to that this morning. Verse 4, Savior, if of Zion city I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. I like that. Now, from time to time, we have words that come and go, and, and people use words a lot. One thing I've been hearing more in recent years is solid. How was your time? Oh, it was solid. How was so? Oh, she's solid. And, and here we have it. Solid joys. Solid joys. I'm not sure what the way it's used today, what all it means. You know, maybe it isn't the greatest, uh, but it's not bad. <laughs> but this is great. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. Let's sing this song. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own What can shake thy sure repose? With self 
streams of living water springing from eternal love. Well, supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a can shake thy sure repose. Let's sing Rock of Ages. It's 555. Just to uh, emphasize this, this surety and notice the, the amazing uh, solidness that we can experience here. It's not of us. It's about the rock. Rock of Ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flow be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and
founded, what can shake thy sure repose? What does repose mean? The dictionary says it's a state of resting after exertion or strain. A place of rest, peace, tranquility. I was fascinated with the part of the definition that says it's a place of resting or a state of resting after exertion or strain. Think about that. It takes a seeking, it takes an effort, it takes difficult decisions to get us to that place of resting, of peace, and of tranquility. Please turn in your Bibles to John 10. We'll read verses 22 through 30. John 10, 22 through 30. Verse 22, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This is a great confession, profession of Jesus, of who he is. Who Jesus is, is everything. What we believe about who Jesus is, is everything. 
Sometime when you get a chance, read through all four Gospels as fast as you can, and don't stop till you're all through, all four Gospels. I've done that a few times, and what stands out to me is this question. People needing to decide who Jesus is. Some believed who he was, others didn't. Is he? Who is he? And that's just throughout all the Gospels, the, the thing of who Jesus is. And here we have it, clearly. Verse 24, the Jews surrounded him. Now let's, let's talk about the context a little bit. He had just gotten done talking about, he said, I'm the good shepherd and uh, no man comes to the Father but by me. I am come, that verse 10 Verse 10 in this chapter says, I'm come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. That's the context of this. And the, and the Jews were listening to him. And then, and then they come to him and then they say, how long will you keep us in doubt? Isn't that ridiculous? They were asking, they were pointing the finger at him and, and blaming him for keeping them in doubt. How ridiculous. He had just gotten done saying who he is. And then they say, how, how long are you going to keep us in doubt if, if you are the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of the Jews? Tell us plainly. Whose fault was it that they were in doubt? Was it Jesus' fault? No. But aren't we the same way? We have these doubts, and we point our fingers. It's because of this, or because of that, or because of the other person, or God hasn't done this or that. And we, 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 we look at them as the source of our doubts, or the reason for our doubts. We're no different than them too many times. But they said, how long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe. I, I, I was fascinated by the present tense of this, this verb, you do not believe. He, he didn't say, I told you, and you did not believe. What matters is what we believe right now. I told you, and you do not believe. The question is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ today? That's, that's where it's at. Yes, you may have had doubts yesterday. You may have had doubts this morning. You might have doubts tomorrow. But the present, currently, this minute, we need to choose to believe. Because Jesus told us who he is. Jesus told us. He said, I told you. But these people did not believe. And he says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Just look at my works. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Okay, so what makes us his sheep? What makes us his sheep? Well, first of all, believing makes us his sheep. Believing. And then let's see what makes us his sheep. Verse 27, two things in there. My sheep hear my voice. There's actually three things, but two of them are our part. Our part is 
hearing his voice, listening to his voice. Do you have time to listen to the voice of God? First of all, you need to, if you're going to be a sheep, you're going to have to choose to believe. And then you're going to have to take some time to listen and carve out your whole life around listening. Like Phil, that scripture Phil used, one thing have I sought after, and that is to hear the Lord, to see the Lord, to listen to him, to see his beauty, focusing on him, listening, tuning in to him, tuning out everything else, and tuning in to him. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They follow me. So, my sheep believe, they listen, and they follow. It's that simple. That simple to understand. Sometimes very difficult to do. He doesn't say that we have to be perfect. He doesn't say that we have to have it all together. He doesn't say that we can never make mistakes. But he says we need to believe. He says we need to listen. And we need to follow. Follow. These days we have well, we have different things for following. What does following mean? And uh, we have we sometimes follow people on uh, you know on Facebook, uh, on uh, social media. We follow people. Is that what it means? That's part of it. Following Jesus. We follow. What's, what's he doing? What, what's he doing? What's he saying? Where is he now? What's he up to? We follow him in that way. But this follow is so much more. It's like Jesus is going over here, so I'm going too. Jesus walks like this, so I'm going to walk like this too. Jesus says these kinds of words, and he doesn't say these kinds of words, so I'm going to say these kinds of words and not say these kinds of words. I'm going to follow his example. Jesus said I should do this, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow him in obedience. Follow. We choose to believe that Jesus is the Christ. We choose to listen to him and tune out everything else, and we choose to follow him with our lives. That makes us... His sheep. That makes us his sheep. And so we can have the promise of verse 28. I give them eternal life. Well, there's a first, first there's a promise in verse 27. I know them. Every one of us longs to be known. And we ache 
when we feel like we're not known. It hurts when we are misunderstood because we want to be known. We want everybody know, to know all the pure motives in our hearts. We want to be known. It seems like everybody just knows the impure motives in our hearts. But Jesus knows us. He knows us. We long to be known. And if we are his sheep, he knows us. And then, verse 28, and I give them eternal life. Life, abundant life, eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What can shake thy sure repose? Resting in the hand of Jesus. Resting in the hand of Jesus. He's got you. He's got you. As his sheep. If you've chosen to believe. If you've chosen to listen. And if you've chosen to follow. Yeah, you fell down a bunch of times. And yeah, you sidestepped and made some big detours over and over. But you still keep following him. And so you're his sheep. And you can... What can shake thy sure repose? Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. Never foe can follow. Never traitor stand. That's where he's got you. And no man is going to get close to snatching you away. He's got you. He's got you. And then the next verse talks about his father, my father who has given them to me, his sheep, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. My dad's bigger than your dad, Jesus said. Jesus says, my father is the greatest. And so it doesn't matter what your dad was on earth. My dad is bigger and he's going to keep you. Your dad may have let you down, but my dad won't let you down. My dad is bigger than your dad, Jesus said. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I don't know how Jesus could have told them more plainly that he was God. That he is the Christ. So, in a sense, he did answer their wishes. He said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, he did. After he told them that he already told them, he came around and said... I and my father are one. He told them plainly, and he tells us plainly that he is the Christ. And we need to believe that Jesus is God. And because he is God, we better listen to him. We better do what he says. We better refuse all doubt that is contrary to that. Jesus is God. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 3.
I just want to talk a little bit more about this rest. Hebrews 3 and 4. The main thing I want you to notice in here is the, the way that unbelief and disobedience is used interchangeably. Now, when God tells us to do something, when God tells us to do something, it would be unreasonable for God to tell us to do something we can't do. Right? Don't you think an all-knowing, all-powerful God would give us what we need to do what he asks us to do? I think so. It would be unreasonable for a good father, a good God, to ask us to do something that we can't. And yet I hear people say that I can't. I can't believe. Or I can't do this or that. So when Jesus gives a command, he says, do this, that means we can assume that we are able. And... Uh, to disobey is a choice. But too many times we make excuses for our disobedience or our disbelief and say we couldn't. Let's read Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all his house. There you have that comparison again about God's followers in the wilderness and, and the church of Jesus Christ. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. I just want to point out this confidence. Confidence of the hope and rejoicing of the hope. We need to hold that fast. All right? And I'll talk a little bit more about confidence. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my sure repose. Beware, brethren, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now this thing about confidence, when we think of confidence, we think self-confidence. And that's, that's in a sense true that we ourselves have confidence, but it's not confidence in self. It's confidence in God because we've chosen to believe in God. It's the farthest thing from confidence in self. It's actually just we're done with self and we have absolutely no confidence in ourselves. But we ourselves have confidence in God because we have chosen to believe him. 
That is, it's, it's being done with our confidence in ourselves, and we each personally ourselves claim that confidence in Christ, that belief in Christ. We, we choose to believe it. That's what God asks us to do. Verse 15, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for who having, well, let's, well, let's go to 18. And to whom did he swear that he, they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. We need to fear not believing. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. We who have believed do enter that sure repose. Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it, first, it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. King James says unbelief, interchangeable. Those who it, to whom it was first preached did not enter that sure repose because of disobedience. Verse 7, again he designates a certain day saying in David, today after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, and again, King James says Jesus, but it's the same word in different languages. And I believe it's talking about Joshua in, the, in, in entering into the land of Canaan. If Joshua had given them the rest that God is talking about, he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, that sure repose in Christ. Verse 10, for he who has entered his, his rest, notice that is, in my Bible, it's capitalized. He has entered his rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. I'm going to put this up here, uh, verse 6 through 10. Uh, this is the New King James. Um, verse 10, for he who has entered his, capitalized, Jesus' rest, not Joshua's rest, but Jesus' rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So this is that sure repose after strain and toil. That strain to be good, that strain to cut it, that strain to save ourselves. We, after that, we, by choosing to believe, and sometimes it's the strain and the work and the effort to believe, we enter into this rest and cease from our works as God did on his Sabbath rest. Let us therefore be diligent. Okay, so there's some strain and, 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 and effort. Let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall to the same example of disobedience. King James, again, uses the word unbelief. And the original word, in the definition of the original word, it means both. It means both. It means 
disobedience, and it also means disbelief. Disobedience and disbelief. It's the same word. It means the same thing. And the translator didn't know how to translate it. Sometimes they translated it disobedience. Sometimes they translated unbelief. But it meant the same thing. So let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. When you're tempted with that thing that it's, it's noble to question what Jesus said. It's noble to, to sift through. Well, do I really believe who Jesus is? Is Jesus really who he said he is? Or when he says to do something, to question it and to sift it and to ask God to make it clear when he has already spoken. When you are tempted to do that, Refuse it. Refuse it. Keep that confidence in who Jesus is and, your, and, and you accept who Jesus is, you accept what he says, and you follow him. Then you are his sheep and no one will snatch you out of that sure repose. Not even your own, not even your own doubts can snatch you from that. Not even your own negative thinking patterns can snatch you from that. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. No one is able to snatch you out of my Father's hand. My Father is greater than all. Let's pray.